Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of Data Oak e-commerce podcast. Today, Pratik and I have a very special guest, Adam Epstein from Boosted Commerce. Adam, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's such a pleasure for us to, to have you. Uh, Pat, how's it going on your side? No, not too bad. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a real pleasure for me to speak with uh, you know, the, the both of you today. So, Raf, thank you for having me. And Adam, really, it's a, it's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to speak with you, for sure. Sweet. That's well, looking forward to it. Uh, again, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. We're very excited to dive deep into what you do and, and also why you do it. We have uh, uh, tons of questions for you. I hope they're good question. I really hope so. <laughs> uh, Boosted, for those of you who don't know, is a CPG, a consumer packaged goods platform focused on accelerating the growth of beloved consumer brands. They do this by acquiring, investing in, and growing third-party seller businesses across Shopify and Amazon FBA, and through original product development across verticals that they believe offer exceptional opportunities. It's very exciting to learn more about Boosted and how you can change lives of FBA merchants. But before we dive into all of this, maybe Adam, you could give us a little background on how you got started into this space. Sure. Well, you did a great job of introducing us. And what I like to say is we're, we're trying to be the, uh, the Procter & Gamble or the Johnson & Johnson of the 21st century, right? So we have the boosted umbrella up top, but we're buying up a lot of acquisitions while at the same time growing organically through the, the businesses we already have mm -hmm. um, to build up a portfolio of brands. And, and we're starting on Amazon and Shopify, as you mentioned, but ultimately we want to be where the consumer is. So our, you know, our expansion plans evolve all marketplaces. Our, one of our two co-founders is uh, Charming Charlie. Mm -hmm. um, so we have brick and mortar experience and you know, it's tough right now, but ultimately what, what brands can we get towards brick and mortar? So really giving the consumer what they want, where they want it is our ultimate goal. Um, and yeah. that's across a bunch of verticals um, and we can get into that later, but personally, um, I have kind of the boring finance background, so I, I did investment banking for a couple of years, went into investing in business school, um, got the itch for entrepreneurship at business school, but still went back into private equity afterwards because mm -hmm. I uh, couldn't find the right fit. Um, and then talking to Keith and Charlie, our co-founders here, there's not too many opportunities that have the tailwinds that you see in the Amazon ecosystem right now. While I can use my skill set of acquisitions and investing at a startup um, that's growing in organically, right? So all of that combined while getting some of that startup experience and, and learning a bit more on the operation side as well was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Mm -hmm. um, two serial experienced entrepreneurs and our founders who have co-founded between them more than 10 businesses that they've either currently owned or success successfully exited. Um, and it was just a, an amazing opportunity that's only been accelerated since I joined, since I joined right before COVID. So things have, have moved quickly um, and the the industry has experienced tremendous growth at an incredible pace and it's really fun to, to be a part of it right now. Nice. Well, so, uh, so Adam, yeah. uh, go ahead, Raf, sorry. No, no, go ahead, please. Well, I, I was just going to ask Adam, so, you know, on a daily, on a day-to-day -day basis, what does your job entail, you know, as, as VP of mergers and acquisitions, does it ma mostly entail playing golf and striking deals as we see on, uh, on, you know, TV, or uh, is it more about, uh, uh, you know, just crunching numbers, sitting behind the desk? What, what does it entail? Yeah, that, that's part of the fun part of uh, the job, right, is every day is different. Um, you know, most of these businesses are, we're looking at businesses between a quarter million to a couple million dollars of EBITDA. Um, so it's not private equity or investment banking where I'm flying around the United States, you know, <laughs> talking to these person people <laughs> yeah. on a golf course, right? Um, 
just it doesn't make sense a generally but b um in covid time so uh it is a lot of sourcing but that's primarily done you know uh over the computer now zoom has changed everything including us doing this podcast right now over zoom um but you know, that's, that's kind of the way of the world right now i think as things open up we'll certainly start traveling again and there'll probably be more in-person meetings but the cool thing about Amazon and FBA businesses is there's sellers all over the world, right? So we we bought a business from somebody in Pakistan. We bought a business from somebody in Israel. Um, you know, we're talking with people in China right now, talking with people in India. So it's, it's not just U.S.-based sellers. We're, we're primarily focused on the U.S. and Europe marketplaces, but um, people sell in the U.S. marketplace from all over the world. So that, that's a really cool part of the job. Um, but to get back, it's a combination of sourcing, it's a combination of due diligence, it's a combination of legal diligence, digging into the numbers, understanding and working with our operations team to make sure we, you know, continue with the stability and the growth of the business. What are our key levers to kind of move forward? Um, and that, the most fun part of my job is getting to talk and learn from so many amazing sellers who have started businesses and grown them from, you know, zero to over a million dollars in sales typically in a pretty fast period. Um, and it's something that Amazon has enabled, which wasn't there before, where you can have a one or two person team. There's 50,000 businesses doing over a million dollars in sales on Amazon. Um, so a, a pretty large network. And um, they, some of them have just learned from YouTube channels or podcasts like this and have built up an incredible business. Don't know what to do with it now that it's accelerated. So we, we, we buy that product market fit, right? They've already established that for us. And, and we push it forward from there and accelerate the brand. Nice. nice. Uh, let's deep, deep dive into uh, boosted commerce now, if you, if, you, if you allow me. My first question is, approximately, how many brands are you already operating today? We are in the mid-20s at this moment, um, but we okay. are growing very, very fast. Um, I think we've got, not to get into too much detail, but about five or six in very late-stage terms right now, with a okay. lot more above that in the pipeline. Nice. nice. Uh, so, so, Adam, is, is there like a specific category that you guys tend to focus on? That's the first part of this question. The second would be, is there a specific category or are there categories that you think are maybe better bets or more lucrative than other categories out there? For sure. Um, there, there's two kind of ways that we look at investments, right? One is the the high growth opportunities. Um, and those some of those categories are a bit more risky, but also higher returns to hit it right than yeah. the most stable categories, right? So um, we have businesses in our portfolio for both. Um, as we think about kind of those high growth opportunities, you know, beauty, skincare is one that always comes to mind because you CPG, take- right? Right, exactly. Um, whereas if you think about uh, like a water bottle, right? A water bottle probably doesn't have as much legs, as many legs to it. Um, but you also know that a water bottle is not going to have too much innovation, right? There, there's still some. <laughs> but, uh, it's H two O. Exactly. If you're, if you're on the top of Amazon's you know, search rankings for water bottle, it, it's fairly easy to stay there as long as you know what you're doing and do it right. But it's a lot harder to move up, right? Whereas in skincare, there's always innovation, so you got to continue to innovate with with the product. Um, but in, in terms of our categories, we'll look at almost anything. Um, there's nothing that we see and we say no to automatically. Got it. The two hardest ones for us are fashion and electronics. Yeah, um, yeah. Because of the speed of change that we were just talking about. And some of that is also skew rationalization as we, yeah. we look for businesses that have some skew concentration and then we have diversification across the portfolio, right? And, so yeah. 
Uh, and maybe also returns, right? When you talk about fashion and stuff, there's, the return rates are super high, right, in those categories. Absolutely. And then if you think about just, you know, a, a pair of women's leggings, you have one one woman's leggings that have five different sizes and six different colors, and all of a sudden you have 30 aces. <laughs> One product, right? And that's yeah. that's before you get into the shoes and the shirts and the different, you know, different designs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So uh, fashion is a little bit harder. We'll do it, but it has to be kind of more of a staple fashion piece. Yeah. Um, electronics, similarly, is much harder. You know, iPhone is, chargers is a great example. They changed iPhone from 10 to 11 to 12, and you've got three different chargers, and you got to ramp back up your, your product again, right? Yeah. So those are the ones we, we tend to have some more difficulty with. Um, the risk of obsolescence. The, exactly. the risk, wherever there's a risk of obsolescence, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, then, in, in terms of some of the ones we really like, I mentioned beauty. Uh, we actually have a joint venture with a Thai public company where we're doing food and supplements in that joint venture, which I think is a wow. differentiator from some of our competition. Um, looking at a lot of home, looking at a lot of pet, and looking at a lot of baby slash kid. Nice. Yeah. As a as a marketing guy, I was wondering how do the majority of your leads come to you today? Is it more like inbound or outbound? Yeah, we, we have a three-legged stool. This is how I think about it, right? Um, there's brokers in this space. Which, and it makes a lot of sense to have brokers who help out and, and match sellers and buyers. Yeah. Um, but buyers have also gotten, excuse me, sellers have gotten a lot more knowledgeable about us as buyers out there, right? So, so there's a lot of, a lot of, kind of cutting the middleman out. Um, brokers certainly have mm-hmm. their space and we work with brokers all the time. Um, but there's also people who know their business very well, who have their financials in order and are just ready to, to kind of do yeah. it themselves. Yeah. So from that perspective, um, as we continue to grow and scale and, and get our marketing you know, opportunities out there, we're, we're seeing a lot of inbounds. We also have a business development team that's, that's mm-hmm. pushing outbounds, um, both from kind of a larger range, but also very targeted at, at some of the categories we just talked about. So yeah. all, all three of those are, are going at the same time. Um, you know, it, it's, a, again, a pretty amazing time to be yeah. selling your business. The market's changing at a, at a fantastic rate. Um, and there's, there's a lot of demand for, for these businesses. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I would strongly advise any, anybody thinking about selling their Amazon business to reach out and, and we can talk. <laughs> nice. So just writing, you, just writing you an email saying, like, I want to sell, like, how do we do that? That's <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Boostedcommerce.com. <laughs> a little plug-in. Yeah. And also reach me directly at Adam. Sweet. Adam, tell me something. So, you know, when a brand comes to you and says, okay, you know, we want to sell. And, you know, you look at the brand, do your due diligence. And you're like, yeah, okay. There's an opportunity here. There's a way to take this. There's more runway here. You know, uh, we can scale this brand. It's most likely because you see certain opportunities, which that brand by itself could not realize. Right. I'm sure you tell the guy, okay, look, this is what we're going to do, X, Y, Z. You know, we're going to add more variations. We're going to take your brand, let's say, to other geographies, and this is how we're going to scale it. Or, you know, we're going to improve your listings. We're going to do X, Y, Z. Sometimes, don't you think maybe when you talk about all of this with the brand owner, he can be like, oh, wow, geez, thanks for all of this insight. Now I don't want to sell my brand. I'm just going to go and do all of this on my own, and I don't want to sell to you anymore. How do you sort of balance that? Yeah, look, um, what we try to offer our sellers is a win-win situation, right? So, so most of our sellers are one to two person shops. We'll obviously talk to, to bigger ones as well. And we've seen double digit employees, but when you're, when you're a mom and a pop or, you know, a father, son duo, whatever it might be, um, 
time is, is kind of your biggest constraint, right? So it's not like they don't know. They're, they're actually excited to work with us a lot of times because they have all these new product development ideas and don't have the time to launch it. Or they have, you know, international expansion. They know it's going to work really well in the UK or Europe, but they just don't necessarily have the expertise um, or, you know, the marketing side of things. Um, or really inventory to a certain extent, right? You're just plowing so much money back into inventory and then there's a, there's a risk and an ROI on that money, which yeah. is different for a mom and pop versus a, you know, a corporation like us. Um, so most of what we're doing is saying, okay, you've built this amazing business up to a you know, million dollars of EBITDA. And we hear all the time, the scale of the next level, I either need to make a massive investment that I don't want to make or what we also hear a lot, which is great um, from our perspective, is I know exactly how to do it, but I need to go hire four or five people to do it. And I have no desire to manage four to five people, right? A lot of entrepreneurs like building their businesses, but yeah. don't like building infrastructure. Yeah. And that's great. We, you know, we have a, a massive operations team that sits behind our M&A team that helps run these businesses. And we have the teams, the expertise, the scale to help uh, grow the business to the next level. So it's, it's, it really is a win-win. Um, Got it. We see a variety of reasons why people sell, but the most common is probably a, you know, I've built this business to where I can take it and I want to go start a next one because that's what I like doing. I don't like managing and scaling. Um, Or B, I've just plowed so much money into working capital because I've grown so quickly that I want to see a payday, right? Three, four years, they built something up and it's time, time to kind of cash out. Super clear, yep. Yeah, super clear. Um, I was wondering, um, would you buy a brand that only has one product? Meaning, do you buy a product or do you buy the brand or do you buy both? We will only buy private label brands, right? But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there has to be a fully established brand yet. If, if you okay. have one or two products that are really killing it, what we're actually looking for typically is four to five products, you know, you can go a little bit higher that are doing 80% of revenue. Mm-hmm. And that's because when you're buying businesses of this size, if you have a hundred products, not only is it harder to operate yeah. for the size, but it's also, you can't really diligence which one is doing the best, right? So mm-hmm. what we call is the hero skew where we're looking for one kind of that is, that is your main skew, that is the driver of the business. And then obviously some ancillary ones from there. Um, but we like that. Now to your question on brand, um, again, it's, it's kind of, diverse across the portfolio, right? We have some products that we think about that are certainly Amazon products and they're going to stay on Amazon. And then we have yeah. some products that we're like, oh man, this is a massive opportunity to take it off Amazon, to move it into Walmart, to move it into Sephora yeah. and Ulta on the beauty side, to drive international growth, mm-hmm. to potentially get it into brick and mortar, right? So as we think about our our diversification across our portfolio, mm-hmm. we're really looking at both of them. Um, and it, and we kind of have a thesis pretty early on as to which way this individual brand is going to go, right? So right. we have a bunch of different levers, each deal is specific, which lever we're going to pull on each deal is also specific, how we think about returns and whether or not this is, you know, an Amazon brand or, or really a brand that can, that can have, you know, sit on its own merits. Right. I like this Eero skewer. Uh word i love that <laughs> first time i hear it i, I love it we're looking for the euros queue like <laughs> so adam tell me something you know when you make an offer to a brand you know to purchase them do you just say okay here's a million dollars or whatever xyz number a flat out purchase or do you say listen let's do a milestone based approach we buy your brand and then we give you a payout over the next you know x number of months or years based on how the brand does under the umbrella and then what's the responses you know what are the responses you get to these kinds of you know offers 
Yeah, um, the industry is pretty common in, in how this comes around. There's really four different pieces to an offer, right? Um, number one is cash up front. Everybody wants cash, and it cash is yeah. king, right? It, 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 <laughs> cash is king. Four times cash is king. Four, four times with cash, so that the person's going to take cash all day long, right? So, yeah. what we try to the seller's always trying to maximize cash. As a buyer, to your point, we, we want to have some milestones, right? To say, okay, we're we're in this together. Um, so, the next part is a seller note, is what we call it, which is essentially debt from the seller back to us, right? So if we're paying a million dollars and 750,000 is cash, 250,000 is kind of a debt instrument where we'll pay them interest on that debt for two, three years. And then we get, we pay them the remainder after two or three years, right? Um, so it's still guaranteed, but it's just delayed guaranteed and they're getting an interest rate on it. Um, the third one, which is actually more recent is what we call stability payments. And that stability payment has kind of come from the COVID bump that has happened, right? So everybody saw on e-commerce, not everybody, but a lot of people on e-commerce saw a, a tremendous growth during COVID because everybody was moving to Amazon. Some of them are sustainable. Other ones, you know, there's a question about how crazy that growth was and can you kind of maintain that growth? So when we see that, we say, great, we, we want to pay you for what you've been able to do, but we also want some downside protection, right? Where all you have to do is stay flat or even, you know, be down just 10%, depending on the deal. And you'll get this additional this payment coming out. But if the business goes down 30% because 19 was, you know, 150% below 20 and there's a chance it goes back to 19, then, then we obviously want to, um, you know, cap some of that risk. Um, now, uh, sellers don't like that as much, right? Because it's, it's not guaranteed. And, um, you know, but if they trust us, which we're trying to do and then build the relationship, it, it's usually um, pr pretty frequent in our deals these days. And then the last one is an earnout which is getting to what you were talking about earlier in terms of, hey, we want to share in the upside of this business, right? We think we can scale it. You've built something great to date. We want you to be a part of our, our success. So as we grow, you'll also grow, which usually looks like as we build EBITDA above the EBITDA that the company is going in at, we'll give you a certain percentage, right? So if the business is doing a million dollars and we get it to a million five in the first year, if we say, okay, you'll get 20% of that upside and you get a hundred grand on top of it at the end of the year. Super interesting. Super I've true, heard, yeah. you know, I've heard so many podcasts on this subject. No one's, you know, explained this whole thing so well that there are, okay, there are four to five different approaches to, you know, purchasing a brand. Super, super interesting. Thank you. Um, my next question, you actually answered it earlier. It's about the Chinese brands and the Chinese seller. The question was, um, like, would you consider buying a Chinese brand? But obviously you you are. In, in, in that case, Raf, maybe, you know, Adam can talk to us about what are the challenges they face when they want to buy a Chinese brand, yeah, you know, because of differences. Exactly. And, uh, language, China, culture, so. all of that, you Pakistanese, know. you say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Compared to buying brands in America, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's different everywhere, right? Um, as I mentioned, Amazon has done an amazing job of of bringing substantial wealth to entrepreneurs in a way that they probably couldn't have built businesses before. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, China China is a great example where there, a lot of new businesses are coming from China. Um, there's also a bunch coming from all over the place, right? I mentioned yeah. Pakistan was one of the, the early ones we bought. Um, there are obviously some challenges and difficulties, right? Um, some language barriers. They they use WeChat over there versus email. So getting everybody on our business on WeChat is, yeah. is not not the most difficult. <laughs> again, like we're talking about yeah. cultural difference, right? Yeah. 
right? Um, and then uh, obviously doing a little bit more diligence on the products, right? Because it's, how, what do these products look like? Where are, the, where are the suppliers coming from? How stable is the supply chain in China? Um, we have non-Chinese sellers who are also using China supply chain, right? But how do you, how do you kind of get comfortable with that? Um, and then, you know, all over, it's not just China, but there's, you've got to really understand how they built up their brands, right? In terms of white hat, gray hat, black hat activity, um, what's been going on, how, how have they gotten there, you know, what, what's their, what's the history of the brand? So you, so you yeah. know what you're buying, which is a little bit harder to get um, when it's, it's, it's a business that's in a different language and you kind of got to dig in that way. So yeah. um, not, nothing that stops us. I think there's probably a bit more of the antennas up to make sure that we can kind of dig in and understand everything just given. Adam, would you would you say the cycle's longer than in purchasing a Chinese brand versus purchasing an American one? Um, it depends, right? It, it really depends on the size, the scale, the complexity, et cetera. On an apples to apples basis, it might extend it a couple of days, right? There's also oh, that's it. Okay, okay. There's there's legal documents, et cetera. Also, and and I don't think to date we've bought a business from China without using a broker. Um, okay. So those haven't been as proprietary. If we do, it, it might be. Um, but you know, our, we're, we're typically trying to close in 30 to 45 days. Um, quickest one we've done was 10 days, which was a lot of fun for me. With, with the Chinese brand, that, 10 days with the, with no, the Chinese no, no, brand? Just in, in general. Yeah. No, okay. Not, not okay. the Chinese brand. Okay. Um, that, that was a actually a Puerto Rican based brand, but U S seller. Um, so that's, um, you know, it, it, it goes pretty quickly in this industry and you rely a little bit on the reps and warranties and in, in the contract to, to protect you. Um, but that's kind of the nature of, of the beast, right? We're not at a million dollar EBITDA businesses. They're not these super complex, crazy yeah. structures. Most of the time, sometimes you still see that um, where you can kind of dive in and, and diligently, we know exactly what we want to get to, right? We kind of recognize or evaluate the, the, the key risks that we need to mitigate and also the key growth opportunities pretty fast. And then just diving into those, those key points to make sure we understand them and, and know what we're buying. Cool. Super clear. Is your office less crowded office crowded with like product, like product that you tried before buying the business? I'm, I'm just thinking about it. Do you try like, do you receive those leggings and those free samples and stuff? Free samples and everything. Because yeah, before buying a, a business, 1 million, like you have to try the product, right? We, we've got all types of products all over the place. Um, nice. You know, I, I've got a drawer in my house full of testing products where we're buying products. And buying simple, products yeah. And, yeah. My, my girlfriend uh, is starting to get bigger. Cool. You know, so Adam, you talk so much about due diligence and all of that stuff. Let's talk about the risk element here, you know. So, you know, I, I see that most of these, you know, FBA aggregators, I, it seems like Amazon is, let's say, the bread and butter in the sense Amazon accounts for the vast majority of, uh, you know, the sales. And considering you're leveraging Amazon, how would you describe the risk element here? You know, because Amazon keeps changing rules like, you know, MFN and this and that. How would you describe the risk element here? Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, we're the first to acknowledge there's platform risk with Amazon um, and, you know, Amazon, but there, there's much more upside associated than the risk associated with it. Right? It's the easiest way to say that. And when I think about that, um, it gets de-risked by having a portfolio of 100, 200, 300 brands as we continue to scale because Amazon at the moment is not going away. Um, right, the likelihood that they take down one brand for any reason is not zero. 
but the likelihood of them taking two to 300 brands down at the same time is, is fairly uncommon, almost zero, right? Um, unless as a, you know, as a boosted or if the aggregators, we, we do something that is against their terms and that, that, that's kind of, you know, as long as you stay within the white hat or gray hat area, um, that, that becomes a lot less likely to happen, right? So that diversity is helpful. Um, it's also why we can buy businesses that we're buying is because Amazon's allowed these entrepreneurs, which we've already talked about, to start them, right? Um, but another way to de-risk it, how I started off, is, is we want to be where the consumer is. So we're starting yeah. off on Amazon, we're growing Amazon yeah. businesses, but how do we turn our portfolio and, and bring that to other marketplaces? How do we think about DTC and Shopify? How do we think about international expansion, even within Amazon. So you've got the UK, the EU, um, the US, Canada, Latin America, right? So, so there's there's ways to diversify across it. Um, I think Amazon, and part of why our business was started in 2020 is Amazon's also done a great job of giving a platform for, for third parties where they've spent a lot of money around um, fraud protection, around helping the consumer and that also helps a business like us, right? Because it, it's going to weed out some of the players who are just here to make a quick buck and, and really not trying to help the consumer out. I think we, we look at Amazon and we think about it as a relationship. And as long as we're helping drive additional value to the consumers that are in Amazon, it, it's friendly. It's not faux, right? So that that's really how I think about it. Um, there's a ton of room on Amazon. There's millions of businesses. There's 4,000 new businesses started every day. Um, and all we're doing is help, you know, help improve the experience for the consumer yeah. at the end of the day. Makes complete sense. Thank you. Yeah. Let's go ahead for the next one, uh, please. Which is, um, oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know how Amazon tends to launch, you know, their own versions of best-selling products, you know, on, under their own brand umbrella. How, how does you know, so is the future of, you know, on, on Amazon, is it Amazon? Sorry, the future of online retail, is that Amazon or the anti-Amazon alliance? Because, you know, I mean, I've heard of this thing called the anti-Amazon alliance, which is Walmart, Shopify, and all of these other guys sort of partnering because they're like, listen, we don't want to compete against, you know, the people who use our platform. Whereas Amazon wants to do that as well. What, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um... I think there is definitely room for more than one player, right? Amazon's the 8,000 pound gorilla in the room. <laughs> and we look at Walmart, for example, and we see Walmart like probably where Amazon was 10 years ago, right? And if you asked anybody, would you, would you go invest in Amazon 10 years ago knowing what you know about Amazon today? Like I, I think 99.9, if not 100 out of 100 people would say yes, right? So that's how we kind of think about it is again, being where the consumer is, how do we play within the, the e-commerce ecosystem, right? So Amazon is a huge part of that and, and we love the partnership and we think about them as, as a friend. Um, you know, are they coming out with some of their own products? Obviously they are. Um, they're, you know, Amazon products and Amazon basics are obviously something we think about, but typically don't even time and kind of the top three or four risks when we're thinking about a business, right? So there's some categories that makes more sense on, um, obviously there's a lot going on with, uh, you know, monopolies and, and the like within the ecosystem and, and not only Amazon, but e-commerce in general, um, in the U S but I, I think again, when, when you think about it, right. Amazon has made a system where they're taking 
30 to 50 cents on the dollar in FBA, um, but still leaving room for people to have 30, 40, 50% margins. So it's a win-win scenario. And, and Jeff Bezos himself said, not this quarter, but a couple quarters back, like third party is kicking our first party. Kicking gas. our butt, exactly. I remember why, that. Why, yeah. why would you change that when you have no inventory risk? You're, yeah, you know, you're, yeah. managing, you're getting yeah, a nice little payday for... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you just think about the big numbers here, if they're doing, let's say, if third party, you know, the 3P marketplace is generating 300 billion annually in sales, just from the referral fee, they're making 15% of 300 billion. That's 45 billion for nothing. Yep. Not, not quite for nothing, but for bringing billions <laughs> of eyeballs. But you get the idea. <laughs> Go ahead, Raf. Uh, yeah, does uh, boosted sell of Amazon too? Uh, Walmart own uh, online website offline. Yep. <clears throat> so we, we do for sure. Um, you know, right now we are primarily concentrated on Amazon, but we have, mm-hmm. depending on the business that we talked about our, earlier, we have some on Walmart. We have definitely most of our businesses, almost all have a Shopify presence. Um, we're also thinking about, you know, Amazon internationally, we're thinking about depending on what business we have in our supplements category, can we get onto iHerb, can we get into Vitamin Shop, um, can we get into GNC, right? So it depends on the business, but we are Amazon focused and kind of proliferating from there. Yeah, IPO plans maybe, you want to talk about that? We're, we're always looking to, to raise capital and thinking about how to do it. So that, that's what I will say. Cool. Uh, yeah, regarding uh, your uh, use of data, of course, I want to put in value a little bit our, our, our software because you're using it. So I, I first want to know, like, how did you hear about us? How did you found us? Uh, and, and, and how do you use data on your day to day task? Maybe not you personally, but Boosted as a whole. Yeah. Um, so Boosted was already using DataHawk before I joined. I think our, our co-founder, Keith Richmond, mm-hmm. had met up with Othmani. Um, I don't actually know how they met each other, but so it's been around <laughs> since longer than I had, and I, I was employee number two. So oh, DataHawk yeah. has been with us from the beginning. Um, but, you know, we use it in a variety of ways. Um, on the M&A side, which is where I head up, we primarily are looking at keyword research, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, using it, right? So as we look at a new brand, how do we think about what keywords they're working, they're ranking well in, what have they done historically? Where is that moving? What's the volume around that keyword? Um, and looking at other keywords in the category where maybe they're not ranking as well, bringing that all together, saying, okay, if, if this is you know business three mm. or this business is third on the keyword and we're fifth, if we can move up to third or fourth, what does that do yeah. for our value? Yeah. How do we think about that, right? So it's a lot around keyword research. Um, I think our ops team probably uses it even more than we do at this point. Um, it started off on, on the M&A side, but, you know, the value that DataHawk has brought has, again, made itself valuable across our team. Nice. Um, yeah, so something I wanted to ask you, Adam, is, is you know, coming back to the to the business side of things. Um, it, do you think the future of Amazon selling essentially belongs to brands with really deep pockets? And let me explain this, it, you know, and try to stay with me. Here. It's a long question. You know, so Amazon, you know, essentially favors, let's say, products, you know, when it comes to visibility, 
products with you know ratings and reviews and things like that so when a new market opens up something like a poland or sweden do you think big brands you know let's say lint or you know even let's say boosted commerce you know with big lots of brands under the umbrella with deep pockets do you think you guys have an advantage or an edge you you know you'd enter the market early on and you know you you'd start selling your products and start advertising your products and build that moat around your products in terms of ratings and stuff and in that case maybe the guy who enters that marketplace you know one year from now he's going to have let's say less visibility because that space has already been you know fortified by a bunch of other you know you know 6 5000 pound gorillas so so do you think you know back in the day google's their agenda was to make the world a better place organize the world's information now it's all about you know who who can you know who has who can, who's bidding the highest and you know shows up highest in search results do you think that's where amazon's also heading Yeah, look at at the end of the day, particularly as a public company, um, right? It, it, it's a capitalistic society we live in, so that there's certainly a part of that. Um, and I think having a first mover advantage is is huge, right? Look at Anchor, which was not private equity backed, but is now a public Amazon. Ten billion, yep, yeah. Yep. So pretty amazing what they've been able to do. Um, <clears throat> but the other side of that is, I think you know, and I've said it a few times now. Um, Ultimately, what Amazon's trying to do, and, and most marketplaces trying to do, is be appealing to the consumer, right? Because if you're not appealing to the consumer, the consumer is not going to come back, and then it really doesn't mean anything because you're not going to be able to sell anything. So, from that perspective, you know, how do the little guys compete? I think it's kind of what you're getting at. Exactly. My answer, my answer is give the consumer what they want, right? Um, now, it might be a little bit harder to compete when you're, you know, looking at. some big conglomerates coming in and and absolutely you know having some more data and having some more money etc but if you have a product and you know you know how to work within the Amazon ecosystem which i think is another very big play, uh, variable here right is is Amazon is is almost like its own language and people who have been there for a while really know how to do it and can drive value both from a ppc standpoint from a ranking standpoint understanding the algorithm from the outside in right um so If you have the right product and you have the operational experience, then I think you can continue to compete, right? But it's going to be harder, and it's going to be harder on us too. It's just that's the nature of the beast. When there's you know, a lot of excitement and everybody can kind of make money, it's, yeah. it's you know who's got the best product, who's giving the consumer what they want, and why are they going to come to you? Perfect answer. That's all I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pat, any other question you want to? No, nope, that's the, all the I have. Well, that's great. Uh, Adam, do you want to say one last word to to the people, the, the FBA sellers, the, the any any Amazon you know professional that is sell to boosted, <laughs> sell to boosted. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the guys. You got your guys' time. It was fun. Um, you know, as as we think about our differentiator within you know the ecosystem, there's a lot of players. Um, we have a team behind us that is a hodgepodge of a great experience from. you know people who used to work on Amazon supply chain team to our founders who are a combination of consumer guys and digital marketing guys to help in that perspective to our president who used to run textile which is a billion dollar plus e-com business um so what we're trying to do is is continue to build upon the success you've built to date and we're trying to do it in a way of partnership right we 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 want you to participate in our growth in our success in our profitability Um, so we look at it as a, a partnership. We actually will be coming out very shortly, hopefully next week, with a announcement about how that partnership is even larger than just buying your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, but what I would say is, if, if you're even thinking about 
selling your business, reach out to us again, uh, boostedcommerce.com. You can reach out directly at adam at boostedcommerce.com or we have acquisitions at boostedcommerce.com. So a lot of ways to find us. Um, <laughs> if not today and you're thinking about it in a year, let's start the conversation and we'll give you, you know, a good sense of valuation and what you should be thinking about to help maximize value. I love it. Thank you for Amazing. this conclusion. And thank you for being uh, on the show today. And thank you for your time, really. Um, Pat, thanks a lot also for being here as always. Uh, thank you, Rafa, for giving me this opportunity. And, and Adam, really, again, you know, it's a privilege yeah. and it's an honor to be able to speak with this super insightful episode. I'm going to re-listen to this like a few times because you had some incredible answers. Thank you so much for that. It's true. Thank you guys for the time. It was fun. Guys, make sure you you subscribe to Data Oak E-commerce Podcast on your favorite platform so you get notified for every new episode that comes out. See you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Take care.